wrong. Um, but it's really interesting, and it's, it's, been, it's been fun to watch. So we're basically following the early church after Pentecost, after the resurrection of Jesus and the sending of the Holy Spirit. We're following the early church through the first years of that church. And it's glorious. It's really glorious. This morning, I want to look at a specific verse, just one. And I confess I'm skipping ahead a little bit here. Uh, we haven't seen Saul become Paul yet. That happens next week. Tonight, Philip's going to do a bunch of awesome things. So watch that, 9 o'clock. But this one uh, verse I wanted to look at this morning from Acts 9.31. So there was the Holy Spirit came. There was a time of persecution. Then Saul becomes Paul. And then there's a time of peace. And this is the description of the early church from Acts 9.31. Says so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit it multiplied. This is a description of the normal life of the church, the early church, the church that we continue. This is a, a description of what I call normal growth. When everything else in the world is going nuts, this is a picture of the church under the leadership of Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So I looked at that, and like I many times do with scriptures, I say, okay, God, what are you doing here? And then... What do you want us to do? What's your part and what's our part? And I looked at this passage and I saw peace, strength, and multiplication. Those are all the gifts from God. God gave peace, right? We can't make that. God gives strength. We can't make that on our own. And throughout the scripture, you see that God brings the, uh, the growth, the, the reproduction, the multiplication. So God did all that. I thought, well, what, what's the part of the church the early church cooperated with God to bring the kingdom. There was peace, there was strength, and they were, they were being built up, and there was multiplication. What did the early church do? And they did these two things. They walked in the fear of the Lord, and they walked in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. One uh, commentator that I read about this passage, he said, this is like the greatness of God and the goodness of God. And I like that so much, I stole it. The fear of the Lord, that's the greatness of God. That's the, God is so awesome, so big, so inexplicably other than we are. So God, where we're not. That's his greatness. It's greatness in the sense of infinity, in the sense of omnipotence, omniscience, eternity, all that stuff that we really can't conceive of. That's God's greatness. In the early church, walked in the greatness of God. But they also walked in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. They walked in the goodness of God. So at the same time that we worship this God who is to be revered, we'll talk about that in a minute, this awesome God that we can't explain, Paul runs out of words to describe who this is. At the same time, at the very core of his being, at the beginning of every thought he has about you, one of his children, is a heart intention for good. So you've got this awesome God 
And then you have us. And every intention of his heart towards us is good. So he, Romans 5, 5 says that uh, hope does not disappoint because he's shed abroad his love in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So the goodness of God through the love of God is shed into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. He's great and he's good. And the early church walked in the tension, maybe not attention, maybe the, the collaboration of those two things, the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And that's the way they partnered with God for peace, for strength and multiplication. Personally, if it has anything to do with me, I want the vineyard to be a church that has peace, strength and multiplication. And so I think that a part of our part in that collaboration as we walk in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. So what is the fear of the Lord? This is hard. Because what I want to say is, well, it's not fear like, ooh, shaking in my boots, afraid of God will hurt me, right? I want to say that. But when you look in the Bible, when people see God, they shake in their boots. Sometimes they fall down as if dead. They're constantly struck by holiness. That, that's their encounter every time they encounter God. But I've got a few definitions I stole from smarter people than me, so I'll use these. The fear of the Lord is the deep understanding of God's infinite holiness and power, like a great depth of intellectual understanding and experiential understanding of God's infinite power and his holiness. He's holy and pure beyond our ability to imagine. And he's powerful beyond our ability to imitate. So the fear of God is that increasing understanding of how awesome he is in his power and in his holiness. Sort of take that down a level, and it's a reverential awe, which means a complete submission to God's rule and control. Kind of this just walking in the presence of one who has all power and perfectly holy, We just say, God, you're the one who can and should have complete control over my life. Like, who else would I want running my life than a perfectly powerful, perfectly holy, and altogether eternally good God? Like, it makes sense when I say it, right? (laughs) Until we're tempted into sin. But who else would you want running your life than the one who created you and knows exactly how it's meant to work? And then if you go all the way down to the bottom, I think where the rubber hits the road for us is specifically it means to reject all other gods and to serve the one true God with all our heart and with all our soul. Now, few of us today are probably tempted to literally put up a wooden idol and bow down to it in our houses, right? Few of us, probably. But a god in our world is anything that takes our passion and our, uh, our first priority in life other than God. So all of a sudden, a lot of gods appear on your screen, right? Whew, they just, you know, your screen is just filled with these other potential gods that would take your time and your passion, that literally we can be tempted to let these other things rule us. And, you know, food, entertainment, sex, just the, the thoughts of our mind, just fun, sometimes escape, those other things. So the fear of God is walking in the realization that at any time God wants to, he can break in powerfully and specifically into our lives. 
if Jesus wants to walk in the room by his presence right now and strike me dumb so the message is over, he can do that. Some of you are saying, come Lord Jesus. It's kind of a joke. So we're ta- we talk about the fear of the Lord. There's my definitions of the fear of the Lord. At the same time, we're a church full of grace, right? So something should be kind of going tilt within you because you're like, but Randy, we live on, on the other side of the cross. We live, on, we live in the new covenant, right? Resurrection, Holy Spirit. John 15, 15, Jesus said, I no longer call you slaves or servants. I call you friends. So how is it that we can be friends with God and fear God? What, what, what's that all about? Anybody? I don't know. Think of friendship like this. Friendship is a gift given, right? So Todd, Darrell, and I are friends. Todd has given me the gift of friendship, right? I can't go up to Todd and demand, Todd, you have to be my friend. That's not friendship. That's control. That's weird is what that is, right? (laughs) So Todd's given me the gift of friendship. And the extent to which I honor that gift of friendship is the extent to which I live in friendship with Todd. I honor him by what I do in our friendship. We honor friendship with God by what we do in our friendship with God. I honor Todd in the way I talk about Todd when he's not around. I I don't. Except for good things. We honor our spouses by the way that we act with our spouses, right? Right? When um, that's that's friendship given, we don't assume it. I don't say, well, hey, I'm married to Jane 29 years. Look, I got the ring and I'm so fat I can't get it off and everything. So, like, we're good, right? I can go do whatever I want. No, that's not friendship. There's, there's There's a reverential fear that comes with this ring and this commitment and Jane's gift of friendship to me. And that's how we walk with God. Not afraid that God is going to strike us down if we go wrong. Not afraid that we'll be punished by God. Jesus was already punished. Our friendship was earned by his punishment. So there's nothing else we can do to make ourselves safe with God. He's the most safe being, right? But what we do with our friendship shows how we value our relationship with God. You wonder, Acts 5, it says that uh, the people around the apostles were so amazed by their power that they were afraid to associate with them. And at the same time, God was adding to their number the, the, the people that were being coming to Christ every day. And you think, if they were afraid, how was it that they got into the crowd? And uh, one author, I like this guy, John Bevere, wrote a book called The Fear of the Lord, a great book, very scripturally sound. He says he thinks that the the reason people could walk through um, the fear of the power into a relationship with the apostles and actually meet Jesus in the early church is that they stopped coming for what they could get out of it. So it was no longer, hey, I heard if you say you love Jesus, they'll give you free stuff over there. I mean, that is what was happening in the early church, right? Nobody thought anything was their own. So you say, Jesus, you're one of us. But the the fear of the Lord means people stopped coming just for what I could get. They started walking into the fold of the early church because the character of Jesus was manifest. Because the awesomeness of Jesus was manifest. The power and the love of God 
was in the early church in a way that no one had ever seen before. And so, though they were afraid of the power, like, oh my gosh, people have died when they got in here. Remember Ananias and Sapphira? But, but more, more than that fear was, how could I go on without being in the presence of this awesome God? God's among them. And, that, and that's the fear of the Lord. It's hard to describe. It's not particularly easy to live out. But I have a prayer for us for the fear of the Lord. I took it from Psalm 8611. So this is free to you. It's in your Bible if you want it. A prayer for the, um, for the fear of the Lord. Give me Psalm 8611. Okay. So this is the psalmist. He says this. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. God loves this prayer. God wrote this prayer. God gave us this prayer so that day by day we could walk in the fear of the Lord. We could say to the Lord, teach me your way. I want to walk in your truth and unite my heart. Literally, the Hebrew word there means bring into integration. Those places where my heart wants to go different directions, bring it together so it can be fully focused upon you. So that I would fear no other person and no other thing and serve no other God but fear your name to walk in loving obedience. Not because we're afraid God will punish us, because we're in awe of his holiness. What, what would the city look like if the church walked in the fear of the Lord? What would this, that's an invitation. What would the city of Indianapolis look like? What would our workplaces look like if we walked in the fear of the Lord? If we were so conscious of the name and the power and the love of God that we walked with united hearts to fear his name? I don't think it would look like condemnation for the unbelievers. I think it would look like an invitation into the awesome love and power of God in communities like they've never seen before. So the early church walked in the fear of the Lord, but then they also walked in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean to walk in the comfort of the Holy Spirit? In John 14, Jesus is trying to explain to the disciples, I'm about to leave, all right? I'm out of here, but don't be afraid. Just because I go doesn't mean I'm gone. I mean, that's basically what Jesus says. Just because I'm going doesn't mean I'm gone. Here's what he says. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. There's a promise. They've watched the Holy Spirit. They've seen the, the power of the Holy Spirit. But now all of a sudden, Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit's not just going to be with you, he's going to be in you. And there's more promise. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live, you also will live. And try to wrap your brain around this next sentence. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. I don't know. That's hard to figure out too. That's a strange triangulation right there. But Jesus is saying, when the Holy Spirit comes, this is what it'll look like. You'll know that I'm in the Father, like we're one. They'll know I'm, he's basically saying, you'll know I'm God at that point. You'll also realize that the Father is in me. Everything of God was shown in me. And then just to blow up their brains, 
He says, and in that day, you will realize that I'm in you. So Jesus says, I'm in the Father. I show everything who he is. He's completely in me. When you see me, you've seen him, and I'm going to live in you. That's the comfort of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes, the Godhead dwells within us. The Godhead dwells within us. Jesus said, I'll be in you. The Holy Spirit is not just a a nice picture of a dove on your wall. The Holy Spirit isn't a medallion to hang on your rearview mirror. Holy Spirit isn't a theological construct or just like another term because God thought, well, Randy likes things in threes. Let's have a third one. The Holy Spirit is fully God and the Holy Spirit lives in every believer. We're temples of the Holy Spirit. Where we walk, the Holy Spirit walks. So when, um, when Acts 9.31 says they walked in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, I just decided to look through the rest of Acts and think, well, what comfort doesn't really seem to be about feeling. It seems to be more about presence. The comfort of the Holy Spirit is less about feeling happy and joyful all the time and more about experiencing the reality of the Spirit within me. So I just looked through Acts to see what it looked like. You can do it on your own. I won't read all these passages. But in Acts 7, we see the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Stephen, the first martyr, is standing there. He gives a great speech. People are so ticked off, they start throwing stones at him. Stephen is being hit by stones, real stones, real blood, real pain. And the comfort of the Holy Spirit looks like this. Scripture says he gazes into heaven and he sees Jesus on the right hand of the Father And his face looks like an angel. He's being killed. And his face looks like an angel. And then Stephen essentially says, God, don't hold it against them. They don't have any clue what they're doing. That's the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Um, I'd like to point out he ends up dead at the end of that story. But that's the comfort of the Holy Spirit. So the comfort of the Holy Spirit is not about everything's peachy and great. It just means that the reality of God's presence is bigger than any other reality. The reality of God's presence in our lives, bigger than any other reality. Acts 8, it looks like this. This is Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Boy, you should have heard me stumble trying to to communicate what a eunuch is the first service. Look it up. I don't have time. So Philip, filled with the Holy Spirit, one of the disciples, he, he, he ends up in Samaria and he's preaching the gospel to people. He ends up on a road, and this uh, royal person comes down the road. He's in a chariot. He's reading the book of Isaiah out loud, and Philip hears him. And he's reading from Isaiah 52 about the servant of the Lord. He's reading about Jesus, but he doesn't know it. So Philip says, hey, dude, hey, eunuch guy, do do you know what you're reading? Do you understand? And the eunuch says, "I, I don't have a clue. I need someone to help me. So Philip pops up into the you know, royal sedan, and, and basically leads him to Christ. The eunuch pops out, says, where can I be baptized? And within like 22 seconds of his baptism, Philip's out of there, like literally taken by God. It just says he, he was no longer there. That's the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Who wants that one more than the one that ends in death? Like I do, Right? 
Acts chapter 9, we see Saul, who is going to become Paul next week at 9 o'clock, right? We see Saul, and, and we know some about Saul. We just know he was persecuting the church. He was killing Christians. He was on his way to Damascus to kill more Christians. And the comfort of the Holy Spirit for him was this. Lightning from, flashed from heaven, bam, knocked off his horse blind and convicted by Jesus. He ends up unable to see. He's in a little cell somewhere. God sends Ananias to Saul. God tells Ananias, I want you to go to the guy who's killing the Christians and tell him he gets to suffer for being a Christian himself. And Ananias is thinking, this is really not a good idea. (laughs) This is the comfort of the Holy Spirit. The reality of Ananias' fear, what might happen, is not as big as the reality of the Spirit's presence in Ananias. And so he goes to Paul, does the healing, scales fall off, he's baptized, and he gives the message to Paul, you get to suffer for Jesus now. As a result, the, the world is turned upside down through the message of Paul. Acts 10, you've got Peter and Cornelius. They both have visions. You can read it. Both of them do things that in their day would get them in big trouble. Peter hangs out with a Gentile. That would get him kicked out of the church real fast if Jesus hadn't changed everything. And Peter goes to Cornelius and he, he shares the gospel with Cornelius. And you know what? I don't know how many of us are Gentiles in here. Probably about 98% of us. We have the, the hope of eternal life because Peter broke the law that Jesus had already fulfilled. Because the fear of whatever might happen to him in the church was not nearly as great as the fear of the Lord, the sense of God's spirit is present here. And when I follow God's spirit, the world gets changed. That's what walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit looks like. Acts 11, I'll just put it this way. Persecution brings multiplication. That's pretty much the rest of Acts. Persecution brings multiplication. That's what normal growth looks like. Do you feel as if you might be being persecuted in your life? And I mean it for real. In some way, you're standing up for Jesus and you feel like this is, this is not working out well for me in the world. People are not treating me nicely. What I want to tell you is the comfort of the Holy Spirit means that as you walk in loving obedience, the gospel gets multiplied. The kingdom goes forward in your life. I mean, no matter what the thing is out there that seems like this is too big for me to handle, the reality of the Spirit of God within you is bigger than that. It's a truer truth, right? Life is hard, that's true. The Holy Spirit is in us and conquers all. That's a truer truth. Maybe the biggest lie, one of the biggest lies that the enemy gives to to believers today is you're all alone. You ever hear that one? The enemy comes in and you just, I'm all alone. Anytime you hear in in your spirit, I'm all alone, it's the bad guy. It's never God. The, the only lie that I can think of worse than that is the one right after you're all alone is the lie that says, okay, I can do it on my own. Because no, we can't. Nor were we ever meant to. Walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit means that we live as if the truth is really real. 
The Holy Spirit's in us. And that's the biggest truth. The Holy Spirit's present within us. Not only are we not alone, but the other one with us is God. <laughs> I mean, I just, I just, I mean, I don't, I don't know how to, I wish I had a great story. I don't have a great story. I just know that this is true. Regardless of what you feel or think, regardless of what people say to you or what your life looks like, if you've given your life to Christ, God is in you. And everywhere you go, he goes. And you are never alone. You are never alone. So I want to pray for us. Jeff, will you come up and lead us in a time of ministry? I want to pray for us. And then we'll go into see what the Holy Spirit wants to do. God, thank you that you have released us into a place of normal growth. We as a church want to walk in the fear of the Lord, loving obedience, and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, living in the truth that the Spirit is in us, and nothing else matters. God, release that spirit upon us now. Give us grace to walk in truth. In Jesus' name, amen.